Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, the thorn in my side, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And this is the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am Sandra Flack, your host, grateful to be with you today. I pray that your summer is going well. I know it can be challenging um, when we're parenting kiddos with trauma histories, with prenatal exposure, uh, because they really need that structure and the routine that summer often uh, lacks. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it can be challenging, right? I know I'm having a hard time with that. My youngest is 17. Um, and he needs that structure, he needs that routine, but he needs a one-on-one support person to guide him through that, and it's really hard um, to to find that person or to have somebody, um, whether it be myself or my husband or someone else, um, provide that for him um, every day throughout the summer. So that's a challenging that we're facing. Maybe you're experiencing something a little bit similar at your house, Um, if if you, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, and heard my story about, uh, the little science project our son did on a hot tub, um, I'm pleased to update that replacing the fuse, um, did the trick. Thankfully, it wasn't any more damage done than that. But if you didn't hear what I shared, he just was inspired to unscrew the sideboard off of the hot tub uh, and um, try to like explore the inner workings of a hot tub and took the screwdriver and tapped a fuse um, and blew the fuse. So we didn't know if there was more damage done or not. Thankfully, the fuse fixed it, Um, you know, so, If you have situations similar at your house, you know, our, our kids can sometimes have uh, impulsivity, right? They can be very impulsive. And it seems like, you know, we want to say, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? Right? I'm like, I confess that thought did come through my head. It did come out of my husband's mouth. But I've learned over the years that that's a pointless question to ask because um, for, for kiddos with trauma histories, and especially for kiddos who were prenatally exposed to alcohol, impulsivity is just a part of the package. It is a primary symptom of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. 
Um, it can be very frustrating for parents and caregivers and teachers and other folks um, because they, they do. They just act before they think. They don't have the capacity most of the time to to like walk through that, well, I shouldn't do this because then this could happen or that whole like cause and effect and making connections and it basically just something enters their mind and they act on it and they, they don't stop and think, um, not because they want to be naughty or difficult or whatever, but they just, their brain doesn't stop to do that and they just act, right? And they just, they just impulsively do something. So um, again, that's we talk a lot about FASD on this show because it impacts a vast number of kids in foster and adoptive placements. Uh, in fact, our guest today is an adoptive dad from Canada who will share his story, which includes FASD. Um, and that's why we talk about it a lot on this on this. It's an adoption and foster care journey that we're all on. And FASD, is oftentimes a part of that journey, only we don't know. A lot of times we don't know that that's what's fueling the behaviors that we're struggling with um, because our kids are not diagnosed or we don't know that part of their history or they're misdiagnosed. We don't know what we don't know. But as you listen to this show, um, you're, you'll begin to know and you may start thinking, because we hear from a lot of our listeners like, I figured out that's what was going on. Or when the developmental pediatrician said, this is what it is, we already suspected because we listened to your podcast. We hear a lot of listeners will let us know, thank you so much for for talking about this because we feel better equipped, better prepared. We started to understand better. Um, and that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. And we provide training and other resources um, for parents and caregivers, including our support group. So give a listen for a moment to the following announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Yes, our support group is gaining in popularity. We're adding new members all the time, which we are grateful for. So I hope that you check that out. Do not walk this journey alone. That that support group is for, um, your child does not have to be diagnosed. You could just suspect that that could be going on. Um, and we are here for you. Uh, in addition to the support group, I'm offering some online workshops coming up right around the corner here that you could take advantage of. Um, on Thursday, July 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I am teaching a three-hour deep dive into FASD using the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model. It's a brain-based approach. You learn all about FASD, all of the symptoms, 
and, and we start looking at strategies using the neurobehavioral model on how we can best accommodate and support and help our kiddos be more successful. So that's a three hour deep dive. If you are not quite ready for a deep dive, maybe you just wanna learn a little bit to see if maybe this is, you know, this could be something that's going on, or maybe you know FASD is a part of your kiddo's story, um, but you need help educating others around you in your child's life. Grandparents, youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, school teachers, bus drivers, you know, adult, your adult kids who don't understand their younger siblings, aunts, uncles, babysitters, whoever is in your world who you believe needs to have a better understanding of FASD. I do an introduction to FASD. Every month I offer a free online one hour intro. Sometimes it's a lunch and learn and we do it uh, during the day, but I am gonna experiment here a little bit with timing and I am offering a free one hour introduction on Thursday evening, August 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So that's a great one for anybody to start to learn a little bit about FASD. Again, that is Thursday evening, August 10th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, a free one hour introduction to FASD. And if you do still wanna take advantage of that three hour, uh, three hour deep dive, I'm offering another one in August. This time we're gonna try a Saturday. I'm hearing from folks who are like, my husband can't take it during the day because he's at work or you know, an evening isn't good, maybe a Saturday morning. So we're gonna experiment with different times here just to try to make this training available to more people who are interested in it. So uh, again, this one will be a three hour deep dive on Saturday morning, August 10th. Actually, that is not that is not a Saturday morning. So if the Thursday is the 10th, I think it's the 20th. Oh my goodness. I have no date written down in my notes for that. So I'm going to do what everybody does in the year 2023. I have my calendar on my phone to see what day. It's the 19th. It's the 19th, folks. So that is Saturday. The three-hour, the next three-hour deep dive offered in August is Saturday, August 19th. That is 9 a.m. to noon. Thank you for your patience with my like lack of attention to the details there. Um, anyway, all of our current available workshops, these are all available online workshops. Um, you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org and click on registration or you can click on training and then there's another registration tab but you can register for these because they're already up on the website for you to register for the free intro you still have to register for because even though it doesn't cost anything when you register that's how you get the zoom link to be able to attend that one so you can go there check it out. You can also just, just check out all of our training and resources on FASD. So if you're thinking, wow, my support group or um, agency or uh, whatever group, we, you know, maybe at, at church you have a, a group of foster and adoptive parents, or maybe there's a foster and adoptive parent retreat who would like to bring some training. And I travel, folks, I will be traveling um I travel often uh, to provide trainings for groups locally and across the country. I've been, um, you know, been going around doing that. 
and in September I'm going to be in Atlanta and I'm going to be in Oklahoma. So uh, I will be going to different places. So if you if you're looking for a speaker, um, you know, for a, a adoption foster care conference, whatever it is, reach out because we do have I do have availability to travel and to do workshops and to speak on this topic especially, um, and I'm happy to do that. So you can reach out. Also, if you are in New York State and are a licensed social worker, we offer continuing education units as well for all of our trainings. So again, check it out, justicefororphansny.org. There's a link in the show notes to this podcast episode so you can find it um, easily and check it all out. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Subscribe, follow whatever the terminology is for the platform that you're listening on so you don't miss a single episode and so that other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers can easily find this show also so that they can be encouraged and equipped for their parenting journey as well. So there's my commercial spiel. Let's get to our guest today. I'm so excited to bring you Rob Moore. Rob and his wife, Shelly, are the proud adoptive parents of three amazing adult children, all with FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Through this life journey, they have discovered how God is always sufficient in everything they need. In Rob's professional life, he has been a special education educator with a master's degree in education for over 25 years. He's a published author with multiple listings and serves in a variety of consultant and volunteer roles, including being the chair and co-founder of Rural FASD Support Network in Ontario, Canada. Please welcome Rob Moore. Hey, Rob. How are you? I am great. I am thrilled to have you on the show today. I, I know we were connected by a fellow adoptive parent, FASD adoptive parent, Natalie Vecchione. Um, so yeah, I love yeah. Natalie and John are great. Yes, absolutely. It's been a pleasure getting to know them. Yeah, yeah. I love Natalie. Do a lot of work with her in this space. So I'm thrilled uh, to get to know you and to have our audience get to know you. Um, so let's let's dive into the beginning of your parenting journey. You and Shelly have adopted kids. Um, what led you to pursue adoption? So we, uh, yeah, so Shelly and I both, uh, we married a little bit later in life. Uh, we were both in our mid thirties at the time. Uh, that's, that's a whole other story in itself, which, uh, I won't get into at this point, but, uh, like I said, I, uh, we, God certainly took his time in, in getting us to meet each other. There was, uh, but it was very obvious from the get go that, uh, we were meant to be together and, and that's, it took us a while to find each other, but that's definitely where it went from there. Um, from there, we, even though we knew that, you know, we were a little bit older, we were certainly looking at, uh, trying to start our own family and, and so on. Uh, and it wasn't, it was only a couple months later after we had gotten married that, um, we, we found out that we were expecting our first child and, as things kind of, I mean, obviously we were, we were beyond thrilled. We were excited. We were doing all the preparations and all the planning and, and all of that. Um, 
but it was it was in week 24 after or sorry week 22 after Kaylin uh had um came into the world in, in Shelly's womb that um we went for our first ultrasound and we were informed at that point that uh Kaylin had a really severe form of spina bifida and unfortunately her um brain had exited her skull at that point and so um we were we had a we had a decision to make that, that uh i would certainly say that um my prayer is that no one ever has to make that type of decision but but the decision was uh do we do we abort uh Kaylin at that point um and in or do we allow Shelly to give birth to this dead baby and so the um we had some conversations and it was it was one of those moments where again you could see God's hand working through all of it because he introduced us to a pediatrician at the hospital and the first thing that the pediatrician told us was God has given me certain gifts and if he gave me the ability to save this child i would do so but god has made the decision at this point that we are not to have that opportunity and so it was it was so at that point we you know obviously we made the decision we we understood that that shelly's health was um needed to be uh paramount in this case and uh yeah and and through that it was obviously a very difficult time yeah. um you know considering that we had only been married for three months or well sorry i guess it would have been about five months at that point um obviously that was that was a really big challenge to our marriage and it was a really big challenge to life in general and and all of that um one of the things that uh that uh we we gained from that though is uh we got introduced to uh second samuel chapter 12 and out of second samuel chapter 12 there's we're introduced to the story of, of david and bathsheba and and the child that was conceived through that union and uh, in fact um I, i'll i just i think i have it here But it was right at the end after the child had passed away um, and the servants came to David and he said, and then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while it was alive. But when the child died, you rose and ate food. He, David, said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And it was at that point that we, you know, there was a lot of comfort that came out of that because we recognized at that point, God made the decision that he was going to parent Caleb, that it was not, he was not giving that's not 
the route that he had for us. That, um, yes, God brought Kalen into this world, but then he made the decision that he was going to parent Kalen from that point forward. Um, I, but at the same time, we also got this assurance that I'm going to have the opportunity to see Kalen again. You know, we we have seen Kalen through an ultrasound picture. Uh, you know, we have a, a grave site where we go and visit Kalen, but we know that some point in the future after this life has ended, I'm going to get to see Kalen again. And so from there, we it, it took us a while to kind of come to the understanding of what God's will was for our life, that um, there were there were other children that were brought into the world, not um but in all of those situations, God actually um, made the decision to 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 take the child away. So, and it abundantly became clear that God's will was for us to parent other children. And so that's when we started to look at the adoption route. And at that time, we we didn't have we didn't have the finances available to really look at a private adoption. Uh, we know how cost, how much cost is involved with that. We uh, it wasn't really an option for us to look at international again for the same type of thing, and so we started to come into um, conversations with our local children's aid society and um, started looking at okay, was there was there possibly some opportunities there, and through that we got introduced to um, two absolutely beautiful girls. And through, and it just, at that point, it was, okay, we, we understood what God's will was and, and what we needed to do. And so that's really why we explored the adoption route. Wow. Well, that is quite quite a journey and and like you said at the beginning of that you would hope that no parent would have to go through what you and Shelly went through um and i but i'm just so grateful that the lord was close to you through that whole entire process so essentially you you started fostering um you became yeah. licensed foster parents up there in Ontario, right? I'm in the right yes. neck of the yeah. woods. And, um, and and like you said, two little girls were placed with you. So tell us about that part of the story. So that part of the story was uh, they were, uh, when we were introduced to them, they were in a, uh, uh, essentially it was a group home. There was, uh, there was 10 children uh, that were, that were being raised by, um, um, uh, the two foster parents that were there at that time. And we, when we, at, at that point, it was, it was very clear that the, the, their development was not where you would want to see it be at. Um, Skylar, our, the, the older child was, was six at that time. And uh, it, and it was very apparent that she had she had been uh, kind of responsible for raising her younger sister for multiple years, and and you could tell from just the way she interacted with people, from from the way she um, 
how easy it was for her to trust people, which really didn't exist. Right. Um, that it was, it was, uh, it didn't take long though to suddenly discover that their desire to have parents, their desire to be loved, their desire to be valued and and be important to someone uh, was obvious from the get-go. And so we had been, uh, uh, we had, we had, uh, had some conversations. We, we, we were very aware of the, uh, the childhood that they had been through. Um, it, it, it was certainly, um, certainly a childhood that you would not want any child to go through. Uh, there was lots of, lots of things that happened there, but we were, we had, you know, we we were definitely prepared for for some of the you know some of the impact that would come along with that, but it was it was that desire, it was that desire to be loved that, and Shelley and I, like we wanted children to love, and mm. and at the same time, you know there was there was a lot of prayer, there was a lot of uh, you know continuing to have conversations with God in terms of okay is this. Is this what you have been waiting us for? Is this the journey and the path that you've been wanting us to take? And and yeah, it became really obvious that it was. Um, after they came, after they came, I mean, obviously there was there was uh, lots of uh, lots of life was interesting. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, there was certainly lots of self discovery. Um, you know, the, the, the statement that, uh, everyone makes the joke about, uh, there's no handbook as it pertains to parenting. So <laughs> we, we definitely, you know, had never had children in our lives at that point. So there was, uh, I, I, I won't tell you that we were certainly, we were certainly not perfect parents by any stretch of the imagination, but we were definitely, uh, uh, definitely, good at finding solutions i guess is probably how to describe it <laughs> and so as we as we continued to move along we uh there was there was certainly lots of times where um people would offer opinions as yeah. to what what they thought things should be like uh what they thought you know what the girls should be like and and so on um we were able to uh we were able to disregard most of that yeah and so um and then the third part of that was uh it was it was about two years it was two years after the girls came to us that uh um uh, cas came back and said um their 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 birth mother uh had just had a son and wondered if we were open to uh, to having a, a, a third child come with come to us. So of which, of course, we were, and and so that's that's where our current family sits at this point. Wow! So three kiddos. Um, now, now I know you said that Skylar was six when she first came, and the younger sister is that Cassie, Cassie was Cassie was four. Cassie was four, and then the little boy came as a baby. And then Jacob. 
Yeah, and Jacob came to us uh, just over a little, about a year and a half later, he came to us at 11 months. Okay, okay. And what, what behaviors were you experiencing from the kids that got you started on the FASD road? So we were, like I said, we, there, was, there was certainly lots of things early on in life. Um, there was some of the, some of the key ones that I remember is, uh, uh, for example, Cassie was, um, Cassie was not speaking at the time that she came to us at age four. Um, there was, Skylar was, you know, Skylar was definitely showing signs of trauma and, um, and, and those kinds of things. We we had been warned that there may have been possibly abuse involved as well. So mm-hmm. um so there was, you know, there was definitely lots of self-regulation challenges. There was lots of um cognitive challenges, lots of developmental challenges and so on. But at that time we were uh you know it, it was we knew the history, we knew the background that they had came from. And and so all of that was just, we were just thinking, okay, that's just all part of, of, of that early development and, and, and where they had been at. Um, we were able to find, we were able to find some success in certain places and in certain ways. Uh, the, the, we, we had a really strong community around us, uh, Definitely got introduced to different folks who um, God had blessed with some wisdom and and we were able to kind of keep finding solutions and so on. But it was it was basically um, when Skylar and and we've always made the statement that Skylar always kind of served as the pioneer (laughs) that because with her being the oldest, she always went through it first and. The amount of times of the um, the lessons that we would learn through Skylar, we would then apply to Cassie and Jacob, and and so we were we were able to definitely um, things have been better and better and better because we're obviously finding effective solutions earlier and, and implementing them earlier. So, in Skylar's particular case. Um, it was it was basically in grade nine, and in grade nine was she had just she had just gone off to high school, and there was um, really 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 extreme behavior being shown. So there was there were um, multiple occasions of of running away, um, being gone for days on end. Uh, making some really high risk, um, poor decisions um, that really were not based with a safety lens. Um, there was there was also um, other things from a developmental standpoint and so on. And at that point, you know, they she had been with us for ten years, and everything that we had read and understood 
like all the protective factors and the safety things that that you would expect to see and the impact that they should be having they weren't having like the, the it wasn't impacted like we had been you know obviously we have been a very stable home we had we had been able to uh be able to provide a lot of support in the in the areas of need we had been all these kinds of things and so and we're going to and and, and we're going to the emergency ward with the children's hospital almost on a weekly basis at this at, at this point and eventually it got to the point where um there was a referral made to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist basically came back and said she's just acting like a typical teenage girl and and we're like no She's not like I, I am, you know, like I'm a high school teacher. Like I know I, I, at that time and, and and I'm, you know, I'm saying I, I know what a nine, like I know what a nine, a ninth grade girl, what life is like for them. Yes, there is, you know, decision making and those kinds of things. But this is way beyond anything that 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 would be considered typical. And so it was at that point. That thankfully, there was in the emergency ward at the Children's Hospital, the the receiving doctor at one point made a note that um, maybe there was FASD at play here. And so when we went to our pediatrician at that time, who was who was really, really good and, and has been one of the great blessings in our life with all three of our kids and has really helped us find solutions. And, and so he, he got on it and he started doing the, all the proper referrals and started talking to all the right people. And, and eventually we got to the point where um, they came back and when they saw that known the emergency ward and everything that he had compiled and was able to demonstrate the pediatrician, um, then it was finally at that point that they went, okay, yeah, maybe we should be looking at FASD here. And so that's, um, at that point, we had been told that it would likely be a couple years before they would be able to get them in. But then when they realized um, how much we had been pursuing this and 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 so on, we they they moved us up much faster on the uh, the priority list and and so thankfully we were able to get that diagnosis wow so you're 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 up in canada so when you you yeah. get the diagnosis there you know it seems like you have doctors and clinicians who were understanding FASD it's not necessarily the case in the united states or at least not in every state or every every area in every state because i know where i am in in new york state um, there's a clinic in Rochester that specializes in FASD. And there's a doctor, uh, Douglas Waite, you may be familiar with Dr. Waite in New York City. Um, okay. There are some, you know, there's a, my boys were diagnosed in the Albany area through a developmental pediatrician, but they were, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, facial features, adopted internationally. You know, we had documentation, you know, mom, mom drank. So it wasn't hard for us to get a diagnosis. Um, but I do find that a lot of families who come to me, especially locally, 
it's difficult to get a diagnosis. Um, and then if you get one or not, we had no resources. Our, our developmental pediatrician said, this is what it is. You might want to focus on life skills. Have a nice day. There were nothing. We were giving nothing. So yeah. I, I feel like Canada, I've heard, is sort of, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of the United States in the area of FASD, or maybe it's just certain parts of Canada. But what was your experience? You got the diagnosis. Were there resources? Um, you know, what supports were you able to access? So I I would say that Ontario and pretty much most of Canada is a very similar situation to you. And in fact, okay. um, the, the, the statement that I make is, uh, again, it was God's hand working through all of this because literally... I think we found the one pediatrician in Eastern Ontario that actually knew what to do here. Um, and when you look at it, even from a doctor standpoint, it, there's there's literally one in Ontario yeah. that could do the diagnosis, and that's who the referral was made to. And so, um, and so, yeah, we got the diagnosis, and at that point. Um, similar to you, you know, they, they give you that sheet of all the community resources that you can tap into and, and that are basically designed for uh, whatever, whatever the diagnosis happens to be. Well, the sheet that we got literally had one name on it. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, that was the entire resources in the area that we had available to us in terms of where we could tap into, who we could talk to. Um, we spoke to them and, and we basically found out that, uh, they had actually just been created the year before and it was basically, um, two folk, well, three folks. Now you would know, I, I suspect you would recognize their names. Nancy Lockwood was, was essentially that main person, Janet Carioni and, uh, Tanya Eckler were, were also part of that group. It, 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 and that was it. And so we were, and their location, um, similar, I think, to to your situation, um, people, you know, the resources are all located in the city. Yeah. And so we're, uh, you know, they were an hour away from us. It wasn't very realistic in terms of resources. So it was at that point that we really... Um, yeah, we were, even though we had this diagnosis, we didn't, we were, we were still on our own. The only, the only thing that we really had at that point was at least we had the why, you know, that we, we knew at that point, okay, it's not our parenting skills and it's not, you know, it, it's not our kids are being stubborn or anything like that. Like we understood at that point, okay, this is, this is beyond their control. And at the same time, it's beyond our control. And that's where, again, that's where, you know, our, our faith has been so prevalent. And really at that point, the resource that we had was, was, was prayer. Mm -hmm. And we, we just, we said, okay, God, I, we're not sure where this journey is going and and what needs to happen here but uh but we're going to we're going to depend on you and 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 we're going to look for wisdom through you. Yeah, well, an invaluable resource for sure. 
Um, Rob, how did you ultimately get FASD equipped, though? Because you 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 have a vast knowledge of this. So did you get any formal training? Like I, I ended up becoming a certified facilitator of the facets neurobehavioral model. So how did you learn all that you've learned about FASD? So there's really, I, I would say that there's there's been three main sources involved in, in terms of my own personal development around that. Um, the first one is, I, I was sharing before, uh, I, I my profession is, is as an educator, as a teacher. Um, more specifically, I have been a special education uh, teacher. Both of my master's degrees are in that field. And so and and when the girls came to us, like I already had 20 years experience at that point. And, and the joke that uh, we make is uh, uh, I I my training is basically for kids with special education. Well, Shelly happens her her profession is basically she looks after adults with um, neurological disorders and so on. So we we uh, we definitely kind of run that whole gamut in terms of understanding from start to finish some of the challenges and things that you face. Um, definitely, you know, when I look back on my career, um, without a doubt, I, I was I have worked with multiple students with FASD over the years, and and so I I, I definitely understand the self-regulation piece for sure. I definitely understand the adaptive functioning piece, um, have a fairly large toolbox of strategies that uh, that come in very handy at times. Um, through that though, it was after we, after we discovered there was essentially no resources available to us, uh, we got connected with a couple other local families in the area who also uh, we're raising adults and teenagers with FASD. And at one point, um, we got together and, and we basically said, um, you know what, we got to do something here. And that's really what the beginning of Rural FASD was, is the six of us kind of gathered around my kitchen table and saying, if nothing else, we can definitely bring awareness and, and getting people to understand what this is and just share our stories and and give perspective on these things are not choice these things are you know this is the way their their brain is designed and this is the way and, and at the same time recognizing it is extremely challenging from a caregiver standpoint to be able to function in today's society around that um, through that, there was two more things that then came. Um, I got introduced through just some of that awareness piece and advocacy that, that we were doing at that time. I got introduced to the folks from, um, from CANFAS, uh, the Canadian FASD Research Network. And, um, and they reached out to me and asked if, um, I would consider being involved in the development of their online courses. And so that has been, I've just recently stepped down from, from, from that work, but uh, that has been extremely beneficial as well. And that um, through, through that role, I've, I've, I basically got introduced to every FASD researcher in <laughs> North America. I, I, I know 
I certainly have a large wealth of information through that. Um, pretty much have seen everybody's podcasts, everybody's videos um, that have been created regarding FASD. Uh, I've certainly had the pleasure of, of being, uh, being able to um, get introduced to folks like yourself and, and Natalie and, and uh, lots of other folks up here in Canada that uh, do a lot of great work regarding FASD as well. But I would say that the third piece, and, and honestly, is probably the most important one, is through the, through the rule FASD, we we have been able to create a really vibrant um, support group, mm-hmm. and and we meet on a monthly basis. And similar to similar to what you have with with the podcast, I mean, I, I you know I know the amount of conversations by the time you do the pre-interview and then you do the interview and then you got to do the editing and and you get to meet with this really wide range of expertise and 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 different folks real FASD is afforded the same type of thing from my perspective and the thing that I'm always reminded of that and it's a little bit of a different perspective but if you stop and think about at the core, what at the core of every research study in existence, what do they all have in common? What they all have in common is they're very simply a compilation of people's lived experience. Hmm. And so it's through people being willing to share their stories, being willing to share their lived experience, being willing to share what they have learned and really what you do is you just compile that all together and and that's essentially what a research study is on a particular topic and so the support group every month we have we have 15 20 individuals who come together and share their stories and the amount of strategies and the amount of information and the amount of knowledge that I've certainly had the pleasure of gaining through those gatherings has been that that's really where the core of most of what we've been able to learn and discover has came from. Yeah, I find that I agree totally. And I find that to be true because Natalie and I host an FASD podcast. Sorry, we both host podcasts, but we host a support group, an online support group. Um, nice. And, and, uh, yeah, so, and, and that's, it's the same thing. We come together and everybody, you know, we have similar struggles. Our kids are all a wide range of ages, but you know, somebody knows this resource or that resource or, and it's just been, we all learn and support and grow. Um, so yeah, that's invaluable. I, I agree. So Rob, your kids are all ranging from teenagers to young adults now. Um, would you give us an update on how they're doing? Sure. We are, uh, so again, Skylar, our oldest, is, uh, uh, she She just had her, uh, she just had her first child with her partner, Jordan. Uh, Emma was born uh, May 12th of this year. And uh, they're currently living with us right now as, as they're kind of, uh, 
figuring out what it means to be parents. I will, uh, I will, I, we're, we, we've definitely discovered the joys of uh, the midnight, two o'clock, <laughs> four o'clock and six o'clock feedings. And so <laughs> that continues to go really well. Um, it's, and through that, and then on top of that, uh, she was, uh, she was able to, uh, uh, complete her university degree just before Emma was born. So she's a uh, certified equine science trainer and wow. as well as a uh, uh, equine massage therapist. So she's got her certifications in that. And I'm sure at some point she'll be getting back into that once Emma gets to be a little bit older. Uh, Cassie has, uh, Cassie was able to not only get through uh, school. She was able to actually graduate from college, and she has her uh, has a degree in uh, baking and pastry arts. Mm. Uh, and just a couple months ago, she was able. She is now living on her own with a roommate in uh, just uh, another town beside us, essentially across from Grandma. So uh, she's absolutely loving that. And she was just recently able to secure a full-time job working in a bakery there as well. Wow. And uh, yeah. And so it is, uh, she's, uh, and they've already discovered at this point, her, her skill at cake decorating is just a wonder to behold. Mm. It is, uh, um, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, we don't, I think she, I don't know where she posts her pictures, but anyways, if you ever get an opportunity to see her cakes, it is, it is right out of uh, TV show quality in my wow. opinion. But anyways, nice. I might be a little biased on that. <laughs> but, um, and then, uh, and then Jacob uh, has, um, uh, Jacob has just completed grade 10. But he's uh, at this point, he has been able to secure uh, all of his credits that uh, he would be expected to have at this point. And so he is definitely still on pace for graduating from uh, from high school here in two years. Uh, but at the same time, he's uh, uh, he has been he's been um, doing a co-op at a uh, automotive garage for the last couple of years. And they've actually hired him on full time. Wow! Uh, to work through this summer, and uh, come this fall, they are basically looking at starting his apprenticeship with them. So he's. Um, it's. I, I will. I, I will say that uh, there's certainly been lots of bumps in along the way. The big one for sure is. Uh, uh, like I can tell you, two years ago. There was um, Jacob was still reading at a kindergarten level, and we had not been able to figure out yet how to um, how to get him uh, uh, to learn how to read yet. And uh, anyways, we 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 finally got the right assessment done. We were able to kind of figure out the right strategies. And so um, last week we got uh, notice of. Uh, the follow-up assessment that they did to kind of see where he's at after grade 10. 
And uh, it, uh, he's now reading basically at societal level at about a grade five level. He's wow. he, he increased four grades over these last just essentially a year. So wow, um, yeah, it is when you when you when you find the right strategy and 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 find the right tool, uh, it, it's amazing what they accomplish. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Now you had mentioned to me when we chatted previously that he actually didn't do well in the classroom at school. Yeah. So and in fact, it was uh, um, his 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 tutor if you can imagine, is his former principal at his school. And uh, anyway, so we, we we still chat on a pretty regular basis as a result. And we were commenting about the fact that it was, it was just five years ago, um, basically this year, that Jacob, uh, we didn't, we didn't understand at that point, the impact that his sensory profile was having on him. And and in turn, the impact that was having on his mental health and in turn, the impact it was having on his ability to learn. And so five years ago. Uh, yeah, like it was we were we were we were at that stage where um, classrooms were being completely trashed and there was mm -hmm. restroom windows being destroyed and there was running out of the buildings and and uh, all of those kinds of things. And, wow. but uh, like I said, his, his principal, his principal at the time, um, again, I mean, it's just God putting the right person in the right place. And, and through that journey, we were, we were, we were able to figure things out. Definitely. Like I said, you know, we, we've certainly had a wealth of knowledge that we were able to tie into this and and yeah we look at them today and it's it's absolutely amazing how quickly things turn around um when god when yeah when 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 you're basically following after god's will yeah and you give us that much hope because you've gone through the hard things like many of our listeners and i myself have gone through and are going through but to see where you know, your kids, because I'm sure even though they have all of these wonderful successes and they're working in their strengths, like Cassie and her baking and your son with the, the mechanical stuff. Um, so there's a lot to be said about zeroing in on their strengths. My last episode, podcast episode was about that. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure they need accommodations to help them be successful in those areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's and Cassie's probably the best example of that in terms of like it took Cassie, it took Cassie seven years to be able to graduate from high school. And through that, and again, and, and she was, uh, and in terms of, and in terms of a reading level, in terms of where her, um, just her cognitive abilities are and so on. Um, the statement that, you know, I, I, I make about her kids is, Really, the the biggest difference between uh, them and and for example myself, I have I have multiple options based on the gifting that God has given me to to pursue and explore. Um, whereas their strengths are are certainly limited, uh, but I've never met you know 
statement that I make is, is I've never met someone who didn't have at least one strength. Yeah. And so when you play to that strength now, in, you know, in Cassie's case, she had very, very limited options where she was going to find success. But that one area is absolutely a strength and absolutely she's finding success in it. And so it is, like I said, it, it, it took seven years to get through high school. But as soon as we got to college, like we knew everything that she needed to have in order to succeed. And so right from day one, the accommodations that the college did in order for her to be able to, to complete that program and to be able to succeed in the way that she did, um, yeah, it was immense. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at, there's this sheet that they basically give all the professors and, and there was literally 16 items listed on the sheet in terms of accommodations that, that, that she was to have and, and everything that you could possibly think of she had access to, but it was at, at the same time, she's it, it when those accommodations exist and those accommodations are available and provided, this is what she achieves. And, you know, that I, I, I think the one, the one that's probably uh, she'll be the first to tell you is uh, probably her greatest success out of, out of college is the fact she got a 93% on her Kate decorating course. <laughs> um, she was actually the highest, she was the highest student in the entire class as wow. it pertained to that. And so it was, but at the same time, that does not happen without all 16 of those accommodations being done by the professor and, and the college and the, and everybody else that did that. And, and, and it's, and it's always a team, right? Yeah. It's always a team. I, the other part that we talk about is she literally had nine different people assigned to her uh, out of the college to be able to provide all the different accommodations and, and so on. So it's wow. always, yeah, it's always done in community and collaboration. Yeah. Can you give us an example of what an accommodation was that she that she got that she needed? Yeah. So for her, you know, some of the challenges that she has is, you know, there's there's that working memory piece. Mm -hmm. uh, she does have uh, she does have, uh, you know, some organizational skills. Uh, she does um, reading, obviously, continues to be challenging. And so what they ended up having is they, the assistive tech, so they gave her assistive technology with her, with her Chromebook. And what it would do is, number one, it would, um, it would record everything that the professor would say. And then there was uh, some software that basically would uh, go through and, and highlight kind of some of the key points that were associated with it. But then she also had a um, she also had a scribe that would attend the class with her as well. And so what would happen then is that the, the computer would record what the professor would say. The scribe was also writing down what the professor would say. And then the scribe would basically go back and, and um, match it all up. 
And so then she, and, and then at the same time, they, they basically, um, they only had her take half of the, half of the class load as the other student. So instead of, instead of a class every single day, she basically had a class every other day. And so she would do the class, she would go home, she'd rest a little bit. The next day she would go back, the, the, the scribe would be done um, putting everything in. And then she would go back, she would listen to it, she would reread it, she would do that two or three times. Um, everything in terms of uh, any quizzes, uh, tests, those kinds of things. She, uh, she had, she, she would be in a different room with, um, again, someone that was reading the questions to her, recording for her and all of those things. Wow. But it was, you know, in terms of, in terms of, did she know the knowledge? Yes. She knew the knowledge. Yeah. Did she, did she have the ability to put that knowledge into practice? Clearly, mm -hmm. she was able to take that knowledge and 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 in terms of her baking and and the kinds of things that she was able to create, it was clear that she knew how to do that. Great. And so that was it. Was really around. It's it, it was really around that working memory, expressive language, and receptive language pieces that where most of the accommodations came from. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. I'm just grateful that the college was able to support her like that. I love that. So I know, Rob, I want to get to the verse because I opened with 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul speaks about that thorn uh, in the flesh, and you chose those verses. So would you would you share with us why those verses are important to you? Yeah. So there's, I, I don't have, um, I don't have one verse that, uh, you know, a, a life verse or anything like that. It The, the verse that I pick kind of depends a little bit in terms of circumstances and so on. And I just, for me, the reason I, I, I looked at those, and this is part of why I wanted to share uh, at the very beginning, the, the, the story of why we, um, why we took the adoption route. Um, and these verses in particular and and these verses in particular just i i think there's a lot of times where this is where the lived experience lens becomes really important in terms of perspective and understanding how we see things and how we see the world and so i i, I shared at the beginning that story but there's also other elements involved with it and that includes the adoption story is always a story of loss. Hmm. There's always loss involved in some fashion or another. Um, whether it's, you know, in, in the case of the child who's been adopted, there is, there's, there's the loss of that earlier family. And in a lot of times, and one of the challenges and one of the challenges that you run into is it, it's not in a lot of cases, it's not even what you would consider to be a permanent loss where it's, um, you know, the death of an of an individual where we know, OK, this is there's a finality to this. This is 
this person is no longer going to be in our life and there's no way that's going to change. Whereas in the adoption process, a lot of times it, you don't have that same level of assurance. And so, and that's one that we've been really mindful of. And so when I share that story of, of with Kaylin, obviously, you know, the loss is, 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 is obvious, but the other piece that comes with that is Shelly and I have never had never experienced the birthing experience in, in a way that most of the world does that when we hear someone is expecting a child for us that lived experience is one of of grief and sorrow and it's not one that and it's not it's not one that is uh people are looking to harm or hurt through that but and we recognize it's one that we need we needed to come to terms with and, and understand. And so we had gotten to the point where our birthing story, we had we had came to terms with it. And so that is in a large sense, that was our thorn that we had, um, that God, we had came to terms that God had decided that our birthing story was, was, yeah, it was going to be one of, 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 of grief and loss. And so even though, you know, our kids and, and, and our children, um, because they came to us at the age of six and four and 11 months, we, we just, we've never, we, we just did not have that same lived experience or have that same understanding of the joy that people experience when they have a child born. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, you, you hear people say, you know, they talk about their bucket list at times and, and, I, I I don't do bucket list because to me bucket list is you're kind of deciding what your future is and I would much rather find out what God wants me to do and just follow after what He <laughs> wants me to do and so it's just a fun journey and I don't worry too much about where it's going to go and what we do but that is definitely one I would say it a regret that Shelley and I if we could change we would. But at the same time, we had came to terms that, you know, God said, God had said, just like he told Paul, his grace is sufficient. And, and everything that we needed was within him. And so we just needed to follow after him. We just needed to follow after his will. And yeah, and, and we had discovered that through this entire journey, through this through this entire path, that you know that that loss of Kaylin does not bring us to tears anymore. That 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 grief and that sorrow that we felt at that time, God, we discovered assurances, and and so 
you know, we were able to see it as, I know I'm going to get to see Kaylin again once this life has ended. Uh, and that's something that I can look forward to now. That That's something that brings joy to me now. But the other piece of all of that is God shocked us <laughs> this past year. And, and the way he shocked us was through the birth of our grandchild. And, and there was, a, again, and, and I won't go into all the details, as you can well imagine, it, it, it's been a really, really bumpy road in terms of uh, how Emma came into the world. But um, just, uh, just know that, uh, uh, like, Skylar and, and, and Jordan, at, at, at the time that she was pregnant, was uh, she was able to finish college, but there was definitely lots of mental health challenges going on they were homeless at that time and there was a whole lot of things going on but um and then on top of that they uh they they had her come into the hospital uh early and and there was um and, and there was inducement because of concerns of where the pregnancy was going and what was happening there but through that what happened was Shelley was with Skylar in the hospital for the entire two weeks leading up to the birth of Emma. Shelley was there at the time that Emma came into the world. Shelley got to see absolutely everything that you could possibly see <laughs> involving a, uh, a high-risk pregnancy, and I'll just leave it at that. And and then at the same time, the hospital is 20 minutes from where I work. And so I was there every single night. And I was, I was, um, I, I got to, I got to play that role of uh, going out and getting the ice cream and the pickles <laughs> and everything else and, uh, and, and bringing in the PJs that we forgot and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and, and we just we never we never dreamed like we weren't praying for this we weren't even thinking about the fact that god took this situation that was really complicated and really scary and he took the thorn away hmm. and now we have now when when people talk about the joy that they experience in seeing a child come into the world, we understand what they mean now. Yeah. We've got to finally experience that. And so that is, yeah, wow. I, I just, it, 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 and realistically, it, that's what happens when you stop trying to follow after your own will and you just let God do his thing. Yeah. Amen to that. That's an incredible story. And I love how he turned your, you know, he turned your mourning into joy, right? He turned that around and you weren't even expecting it. And, no, um, exactly. Wow. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Rob, most of our listeners are also adoptive and foster parents, kinship caregivers. Um, so would you, as we wrap up, share... Um, some words of encouragement or advice, whatever's on your heart that you'd want to speak to them? I think probably the biggest 
the biggest thing that I would share and and again and and we've we've made some references through this time the importance of being in community the importance of 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 being surrounding yourself with with fellow followers of Christ being able to um um just being able to get into the word being able to get into worship being able to uh hear the joy and and the different aspects that has been that has been the key through all of this and we uh, were constantly amazed at how we can never predict how which person is going to show up at what time at the very t- at the very moment that it needs to be that person in that time and 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 our story has just been example after example after example of that um and i think really and one thing that shelly and i talk about a lot is even though you know obviously there's been lots of ups and downs and lots of challenges and everything else there's really only one thing that is key to all of it and for me what drives what drives all of this is when this life is ended i want to be able to stand in front of god and hear him say well done good and faithful servant and if i have achieved that and i know i have then the rest of it is all temporary the rest of it is whatever whatever happens to be at that time it, that too is going to pass away uh, you know lots of times it may seem like a huge crisis but it's just like god's got it and he always has it and, and then the second piece of that for me is um my main task above all else is to have my wife and to have my children hear the same thing I recognize that I can't save them, but I can do everything in my power to encourage them and support them and help them um, come to that same faith and that same understanding. And if and if and in doing that, I can positively impact others to be able to get to that same status. Then, beautiful. That's what it's about. Yes. Yes. Amen. Wow. Thank you for such an encouraging word. And Rob, thank you so much for sharing your story, your parenting journey with us, the ups and downs of that. I love how you're supporting fellow adoptive and foster parents on the FASD journey up there in Canada through through rural FASD. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Sandra. Wow, what an incredible testimony and um, just encouragement. I love what Rob said about community, right? We, we, we cannot do this without community. Um, our faith is a big part of this journey. Um, and it makes me think of our support group, the Hope for the FASD journey, um, because we are, um, you know, parents 
of kiddos who we who are either diagnosed or we suspect have an FASD, um, but we're encouraging one another, we're sharing our faith, we're encouraging each other in the Lord, praying for each other, um, providing those tools and resources when we know about a tool or resource that would benefit somebody. Because we got we've got folks because it's an online group all over the country who are part of this group. Um, and we just share, you know, about, you know, what what state you're in. We think we know about this resource or we do know about that resource. Um, so we're providing resources and encouragement and strategies and tools for one another on this parenting journey for our kids, for ourselves, but also encouraging each other in the faith and praying for one another. And as far as I can tell, we're one of the only um, FASD faith-based support groups out there. So if you think that that is something that you would be interested in, like, like Rob said, we need community. We need each other on this journey. So I hope that you'll check that out. Um, I, I thank you for listening to the adoption and foster care journey today. I hope you two were inspired by Rob's story. I know I was. Um, but in addition to inspiring you, we also like to equip you for your parenting journey. If you'd like to learn more about FASD, um, learn more about the neurobehavioral model and how to um, consider the brain and accommodate your kids for success, you're going to want to take advantage of the various trainings that I shared at the beginning of the episode um, to learn more about what we have available, to register for the online workshops. Um, go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. Again, there's a link in the show notes, so you can easily click there to go check it out. If you're interested in booking an online or in-person workshop for your group or agency, um, one that's not currently you know, listed, you can, you can, you can um, schedule one just for your group or agency, um, or maybe you need a one-on-one -on -one consultation for yourself and you'd like to do a Zoom call with me um, to, to learn more about all of these things and how to apply the neurobehavioral model specifically to what's going on with your kiddos, right? Contact me through our website uh, or by email. You can email me directly, Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org, and we can set that up. Remember again, the support community, um, we are here for you. Uh, you do not have to do this journey alone. We are here for you. And if you enjoyed the show, be sure to let us know again by subscribing or following this podcast, leave a review, and let your adoptive and fostering friends know about this podcast so they can listen and be encouraged also. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And I am there, my personal profile, at Sandra Flack as well. Um, and I'm grateful that if you're still listening and you stayed all the way to the end, kudos to you. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. And I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.